Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 62 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I always feel kind of rusty sometimes if I have a couple of weeks between recording a guest, uh, but I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Uh, and on top of those 62, there's 150 old episodes with me and my friend Dean Guido. So I should be an old pro at these. Uh, but today is about my friend David Ote, who I got to you know get on here for the first time. David's doing a lot of really cool stuff in the industry. Well, let's run it down. So you're the director of training at the PPSC, the Pain-Free Specialist Certification, right? You are on the advisory- uh, Yeah, so right now- Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Yep. Well, I'll, I'll do the list, then I'll let you qualify all, all of it. So <laughs> you're on the advisory board of Men's Health Magazine, and that should raise some eyebrows. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, you're also a writer for Muscle and Fitness Magazine. That's another doozy. You write for T-Nation. You're written for the NSCA. You're a, a speaker presenter. You're in the lineup- uh, you and I are both in the lineup for Kabuki Education Week this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you just published a book, then I want to make sure I get this right. The 90 transformation, 90 day transformation challenge abs category. Uh, and that's again, under the men's health banner. Yes. Yep. That's correct. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, 15, 16 year trainer and, you know, all that kind of stuff that goes along with it for sure. Cause you know, those, um, those things or accolades that someone may say are are really just lucky opportunities I've had. I've been very fortunate to be around the right people and do the right things. And um, I think we'll definitely talk about a decent amount of that, of that today. Um, But yeah, it's really cool. I've been very fortunate to be in some really awesome spots and and we've, we've crossed paths a number of times, just, you know, inadvertently through some of the channels that we've been through, whether it's teen nation. um, I know that, it's funny that you're writing for Bar Bend. My buddy Andrew Gutman, who was the first associate editor I worked with over at Muscle and Fitness, is at Bar Bend. Um, so there's a lot of these these paths that cross ways, and um, I appreciate it. And, and you know, hopefully, we give a lot of good perspective today for some of the coaches who are looking for some direction in what they're doing. Yeah, I think you and I, like we're set off here, have an incredibly similar journey in some regards. I mean, a lot of the details mm-hmm. are different, but you know, you're a, a 15 plus year. Oh, you know, in the making overnight success in a, in a lot of ways, right? And you know, a yeah. lot of people pay attention to what's been going on the last couple of years of my career. And again, we're talking about you know tens of thousands of coaching hours on gym floors with clientele, and just head down in business before either one of us kind of got a sniff at you know a, any sort of broader accomplishment. But that's actually exactly where I wanted to start this thing with. And I think you're a really great example of someone who's done a lot of really credible things in your career. Uh, My presentation for Kabuki Education Week is quite literally going to go into all these concepts. But what has been your career focus and aspiration through the various stages uh, as you progress through all the things, especially the stuff that I've listed off? Sure. So I, I think that's a great question. It's so funny because my my mindset of where I want to go with certain things is very one directional. And even though it looks like it's a bunch of diverse things that I've done or things I've been involved in, it's all under the same umbrella of how do I maximize the impact of what I can do within the fitness industry? And that's not to say that my perspective is the perfect identical one that everyone should follow. But I do believe that more perspective can give people a well-rounded perspective because then they're at least seeing things that I've seen from my shoes. They're going from my direction. So no matter if it was me as a coach starting out at, you know, I started volunteering as a coach when I was 17 years old. I didn't know that this is what I wanted to do. And I was lucky enough that 
a mentor of mine, Dave Ben Fatty, uh, ended up bringing me into a sports performance facility and said, Hey, I think this is something you'd like. And I grew up not making a lot of, like my parents didn't make a lot of money, uh, growing up. So I started working as early as I could. And when that happened, I worked jobs in data entry for a marketing firm. I was a baseball umpire at 13 years old. I was an expo at a, at a restaurant, a bar back. I've been a waiter. I've done all these things. And me volunteering as a coach in a sports performance facility was called Chuck Mountain Sports Performance. That was the first job I ever had where I wasn't staring at the clock waiting for my shift to end. And that's when I realized that, that was something that I really love to do and enjoy doing. But ever since then, it's always been, how do I make the most impact in what I'm doing? So I ended up getting into uh, management for personal training, which is not for everyone. I think it's, it's a lot of trainers see it as a progression. Oh, I got to, what's the next step? I'm either a gym owner or I'm a manager. That's not true. Like they're just, they're different jobs. So for me, it was, how do I help uh, develop coaches into leaving the most impact for them? Because if my impact can help those coaches, which then impacts their 15 clients, then I spread wider through the spider web. And then it was, how do I get involved with writing in that capacity? And how do I present in that capacity? And it was all under the direction of how do I help provide my perspective of what I've been through from ups and downs and highs and lows and all that. So that other coaches have some forewarning or some best practices whenever they're going into their sessions or going into their career choices. And I almost feel like you and I both look at the more traditional path of, I would say, the generation of successful fitness professionals that came before us. A lot of the writers that came up through T-Nation mm -hmm. media wasn't a big thing. We now know that there are, you know, there's a lot of different paths and a lot of different tactics. And you often poke a little bit of fun at some of the social media side of stuff. Um, <laughs> what, are the, what are the things that again, I'm really big on and some of the media I've been working on is it's not, it doesn't start with social media. Like I think a lot of new coaches think that, okay, I can really invest heavily in social media. I'll blow up and I'll have industry credibility. And I think mm -hmm. if we look across the industry at people who we certainly um, think very highly of you, your John Berardi's, your Luca Hosevar's, uh, Dean Somerset, Tony Gentilcore, there's a big long list, Christoph. And, mm -hmm. And a lot of them have really solid social media followings, but they're not sure because they've been great at social media, you know, especially recently. It's because there's a legacy of written articles and appearing on podcasts, or in some cases, some of them host their own podcasts or having created businesses like John Berardi and, you know, Precision Nutrition or Mike Isertel and Renaissance Periodization. Uh -huh. uh, Luca owns Vigor Ground and he's done everything under the sun from writing to YouTube, to podcasting, to, to mentorship. Everything. There, there are so many of these elements to building a career based on credibility. And I, this is something that I've practiced as well. This podcast was kind of the first thing that came out of it. And then it was ready for T-Nation three years ago. Before that, it was ready for my website. And that's turned into Bar Bend and Generation Iron and some other stuff. And I still feel like that's the way to go. How do you sell that to a coach who is in a hurry to step into the space where they get more renowned in the industry? So uh, that's a good question. And I sell it in the way of kind of like what my post was about yesterday is that it's not a quick fix. And I think to, to your point, the reason I poke fun at social media when it comes to certain tactics that people use, and that's the best way I'll put it, is it's not authentic. So the problem is a lot of coaches, 
instead of focusing on coaching and letting the coaching build a social media, they try and build a social media and expect it to build their coaching. And it's the wrong path, right? So you need to have the credibility of what you do and how you build yourself into a certain way in order to then have people pay attention to what you're doing. It doesn't have to be revolutionary in, in its way either, right? It's authentic. It's consistent. It's transparent. You're honest with what you do. I think coaches that are afraid to admit mistakes is a mistake, right? Like we all have ups and downs of what we do. And it's funny because when we were doing the pain-free performance podcast, uh, one of the first interviews I had was Tony Gentlecore and Tony, you know, I'm lucky enough to have known for years now, but I remember on that podcast and I remember telling him we were out in New York city one day about the first time I DM'd Tony asking how he got into men's health magazine. And this must've been like 10 years ago or so. And I remember his first response and his first response was, well, why do you want to write for men's health? Which is the same question that I ask a lot of coaches in different perspectives. And my response was, well, I want to be able to provide my perspective of what I've done, which is, I think, unique in a lot of ways and spread that, right? It's the same thing that I ask for coaches when, you know, I've been lucky enough to speak a handful of times for Dr. Brad Schoenfeld at Lehman College for his students. And when I do that, the first thing I ask him is, hey, what do you guys want to do? And a lot of them say, I want to go into sports performance. I want to train athletes. And they go, well, why do you want to train athletes? And they go, well you know, it, it's, they're the top of the top. And my follow-up question is, well, do you want to train athletes because they're the top of the top? Or do you want to train athletes so that people know that you know the athletes? Like, do you want to, like, are you doing it because you actually want to train high level basketball players? Or are you doing it so that people know that, you know, mellow or that you're part of the Knicks or whatever it may be. Right. So I think from that, it was, you know, it, it's always that question of like, okay, your social media will be a reflection of who you are based on building an organic following because of really what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I used to have, so when I was at Equinox, I managed 72 trainers on average. We were in 150,000 square foot facility. We were a $5 million PT business on an annual basis. And I would have coaches come in all the time and ask me, Hey, how do I get into men's health? How do I start presenting for the NSTA? I want to build my social media following. And I go, okay, well, why do you want to build that? They're like, cause I want to get credit. And I go, well, uh, you know, at that point, I'm like, I'm on the advisory board for Men's Health Magazine. I've presented for the NSCA. I've written for the NSA. I've written for a lot of these places. And at that time, I had 3,000 followers on Instagram. If you think the reason that I'm getting these opportunities is because of my Instagram following, you are sadly mistaken. It is the other things that have built up to that time period. So what I would say is, it, you know, care about the craft. Remember what your, what your mission and vision is. What's your mission as a, as a coach? It, what is your vision for the goal and career that you want to provide for yourself? If you're concrete on that, then you won't get lost in the shuffle of social media, which will help you manipulate, unfortunately, into the person that you really aren't necessarily in an authentic way. Yeah, I, so much there. Um, the, all the shortcuts, right? Um, the, I think the similar one I get is people asking, how do you get into T Nation? How do you get into writing for these publications? Exactly. And I've told this story a few times, so forgive me if anyone listening has heard it, but I usually turn around and say, okay, well, do you write for your own website? You know, start there. Um, here's a couple of books, and I'll say it right now, on writing well, uh, William Zinzer, go read that book if you're serious. And I've had a, a couple of people, my friend, uh, Daniel DeBrock. So mm -hmm. he took everything I said, and ran with it and did it. And I'm going to come back to him. But I've had other people like, nah, I don't want to do this. Like they, they just want to skip the step. They just want the accomplishment without the work that goes into it. It's like, 
well, that there's no way in hell I'm going to go and say to, you know, Chris and Danny at uh, Teenation, hey, you should put this person on here. Like, shit, no. Um, you know, I've done a number of collaborations. I pulled a lot of people into Teenation. And in every turn, there's someone who has a pretty big history of career accomplishment. I mean, shit, you know, Luca Hosevar is has done everything in industry. He'd never written for T-Nation. I pulled him from yeah. General Court into a collab. Tony's a legend in that space. And Luca thought that was a pretty cool thing. How do you, what, how do, you do something for the guy who has everything, right? And that was Correct. a cool little feather in his cap he didn't need, but he appreciated it. And, you know, we put Tony in there as well because it's relevant to all three of us. And we had a lot of fun doing it. So back to my friend Daniel. So Daniel went and submitted a bunch of stuff to T-Nation and eventually got something accepted. And... He really ran with it. He started publishing a lot of stuff. His work got a lot of attention from the PTDC's weekly best list of articles. He kept featured, getting featured on that. And all of a sudden, he's writing for Elite FTS because he's going to apply to those guys. And he's writing for Kabuki uh, Strength. Mm -hmm. And now he's a staffer with Kabuki Strength. And he's the reason why Brandon Sen, who is the organizer of Kabuki Education Week, turned around and asked me to go and present uh, as part of Kabuki Education Week. So it also goes to something else you're talking about. People are wondering how we get into these spaces. I bet like me, you went and traveled to a lot of conferences. You met a lot of people. You met the speakers, but you also met the people who are there standing shoulder to shoulder with you who are on the same path you are. And I couldn't have planned some of the stuff that's happened. Like going to the Kent City Fitness Summit in 2017, met a lot of people. A lot of those people have done really well. One of them was my buddy, Tim Art. So cool. Mm -hmm. Tim's a great guy. Met him, got him on social media. And then, so Tim has a little small conference of his own. And so I go to it in 2018. He throws a great event, uh, you know, very VIP, 50, 60 people. I go the following year again and come this year because it's so hard for him to get speakers. He turns around, he's like, Andrew Matt, I really want you to present at this, which wasn't something I'd ever imagined or was angling for. But I said, the first time that someone asks me to go present at one of these events, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to go, okay, shit. Now what have I done? I better go do a good job with this shit. And that started in 2017 because I traveled to something and, and got to know the people there instead of trying to kiss the ass of all the speakers. But you know what? I spent some time getting to know a lot of them too, and they, they've turned out great as well. So there's a little bit of a, a lesson if you want to be patient in how to approach this stuff. What's your experience? Yeah, I was going to say that is 100% on the nose. Like I think of initially when I was in the beginning of my career, and starting out, which by the way, people should be going to education as much as possible. I'm a firm believer that you should fill your CEUs within the first six months of your two, three year recertification period. Like go, it's not a waste of money. It's a great investment in what you're doing. And what I love about in-person education is your availability to meet new people and interact with like-minded individuals. So I think back to like the 2013 NSCA PT conference, which was, or the NSCA national conference, which was in Providence, Rhode Island. And my suggestion for a lot of people when they go to these conferences is go to all the, the events that you possibly can. And the biggest mistake I think coaches make is when the lecture ends, they end up walking to the back of the room instead of the front of the room. I immediately will walk to the front. I remember the first time I met Eric Cressy at the 2013 and I walked up front and wanted to make sure that I introduced myself, who I was and asked my questions that I wanted to ask and leave a good impression. So to your point of what you were talking about, networking is a huge part of what you do. And an important part about networking is being authentic and not being a piece of crap and using people for just instant transactions. Like treat people how you want to be treated in response. 
We all have that friend from high school that we haven't talked to in a long time that randomly DMs you and says, Hey, how you been, man? By the way, I'm selling insurance now. Would you like to cut? Like, no, I know you're contacting me for your own benefit. You're not contacting me because you give a shit about me. Send emails at the holiday, send emails on someone's birthday, send them a text message, follow up with people. If you genuinely care about that person and you genuinely give a shit about their, their benefit and their health and wellness and, and how well they're doing, you want to make it a point to treat them authentically in the way that you want to be treated. And that stuff comes around. So I always tell it to people too, like I, I've, you know, companies reach out to me and they're like, Hey, we know that you know, a bunch of people in these different areas and you're connected. Can we use some of those contacts? And I'm very, very cautious about who I allow to introduce myself to and introduce others to, because I know how long it took to build a network of people. So they know that I'm not just there to ask of things from them. But to your point a little bit also, so you got recommended to speak for some of these things, by the way, Daniel DeBrock is an ox. That guy is a monster. Um, he he was the moderator for my Kabuki presentation last year. He's huge. So I love seeing what he's doing well and he's thriving and what he's doing. What I would suggest for people though that haven't read the book, read the book Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. And don't be afraid to ask of things in situations when you feel that you've gotten to the right space. The reason I got my NSCA presentation the first time was because I reached out and asked and I reached out to Rick Howard and I, he was lucky enough to give me an opportunity and it's, it's gone from there. I got my first writing assignment because I asked, I remember the first time I wrote for Teen Nation, I sent an article called, it was like five, five things I learned from training. It was terrible. It was the worst article on the planet, but the way you get better at writing is writing. The way you get better at speaking is speaking. The way you get better at training is training. So dive in. If it's something that you authentically want to be a part of, then commit yourself to it. Don't expect immediate results in the same way that fitness isn't immediate results and know that the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. I want to double down on one point in there too, you know, about the giving relentlessly, but not asking. If I ask someone on my podcast, I'm cognizant of the fact that I'm asking for an hour of their time. So I want to make it something that really highlights them. But outside of that, if I turn around to someone, like I, I use the Luca and T Nation example, Luca's a busy mm -hmm. dude. You know, I didn't go to Luca and be like, hey, brother, you know, do you want to come and be in this article? Uh, here, go write it and I'll just like edit up or whatever. I sent him, okay, hey, brother, you and me are doing the same concept on our social media. It was a supported Bulgarian squat, right? He mm -hmm. did a lot of it. I was doing a lot of it. And then Tony saw us doing it. So Tony started copying it a little bit with a, a torn Achilles tendon. So he's doing it on one leg. Meanwhile, 300 pounds for reps on his good leg. And so we started all like, sort of tagging back and forth and turned into a little bit of a competition. So I was like, all right, I've already done one article on this. Let's do an update. I want to take this a little further. And I went and wrote the framework of it. And I said, hey, Luca, do you want to just add a little bit, you know, give me a paragraph, throw you in here, you know, and, and collaborate on this. He turns around and writes a big pile of stuff because he's pretty prolific with this. So I try to frame it as not a big ask of his time, but as a, hey, you know, if you contribute just something to add to this, you get a, a writing credit with this publication. So it was really geared towards doing something positive for him. And a lot of people, again, I get a lot of requests in my DMs and I really do want to help people. But one of the weird ones, and, I, and I've got friends who do this and I really want to help them, but people ask, hey, you know, can you share this on your social media? And my default answer now is no. <laughs> if I see something and I'm like, all right, I want to share this. That's one thing. But if someone asks me to share something or if I get tagged in a lot of stuff, 
I'm just like, no, I'm not because I know what's going on there. It's people who are trying to ask something from me versus turn around and give. And anybody who follows my social media notices that across the broad array of all the people that I know, I try to overwhelmingly give. We were talking about our friend Logan Dubay, right? And I've been relentless in sharing Logan's stuff uh, because Logan's a great educator, someone who I really believe everybody in the industry should know about, one of your PPSC team and a brilliant, brilliant presenter. But Logan's never asked for a damn thing from me, which makes it just that much more appealing to say, nah, Logan, we're going to try to blow you up. We're going to try to make sure more people know about you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly it. And anyone who's not following Logan Dubay on IG or anything to follow fitness stuff, you are sorely missing out on quality information. So shout out to Logan, uh, the GOAT. Um, but what I would say is to that point, it, that's why I poke fun at like the, hey, here are a bunch of people you should follow. Because there's a very stark difference between what you do and what a lot of other people do, right? What you do is, and which is what all coaches should do, is I want to build other people up. You know, when the water rises, all ships rise. If one of us rises in the industry, we all rise, right? So I'm big on let's build these towers as high as possible. Manhattan wasn't built with one big tower everyone's buildings were getting higher and higher, right? That's how you make an amazing city. I want this industry to be Manhattan. I want everything high rise, right? And you do that by propping other people up and supporting other people authentically, because I think that person's awesome. This is who I follow. And if you want some information, follow them. What I don't like about the social media end of that, which happens sometimes is coaches will tag a bunch of people and go, here's a bunch of cool people I think you should follow, but they all have a quarter million followers. And it's like, they're just trying to get a tag back or a reshare in their story so that they can get some love back. It's not authentic. They're not doing it for the right reasons, right? It's the person that donates $10 and then tells everyone, hey, I donated $10. That's not why you donate. You donate to give. So that's my big thing with that is, are you authentically propping other people up because you know it's for the best interest of everyone involved versus for your own sake in the matter? Yeah, it's funny. I saw that post. Yeah, of course, you. I know you immediately sent it to me going, Hey, I'm not talking about you. Not you. <laughs> oh, people thought you probably were, but that's fine. Cause I don't, I'm the one who probably popularized this stuff. Not the first, but sure. you're them everywhere, which is cool. Like, you know, again, more abundance mindset and you're right. Some people are being what I would say performative about it, or it's, it's their intention to get back as much, if not more than receiving it. Sure. Ultimately you go through your career trying to give and share information and support other people with no expectation in return. That's the road to a lot of good stuff coming back to you. And people will. You go and you build that career credibility. You know, you write for stuff, you do your podcast, do your YouTube channel, develop really cool stuff, and people will take notice. You meet people at events. I met Sohili in 2017, same event, Kansas City. I met a lot of cool people there. And so he and I have been become friends over the years. I've hung out with her at other events. She invited me to come see uh, Lane Norton. And Brad Schoenfeld speak back, I think it was like, it was early 2019. And so we were hanging out there along with our pal, Derek Stanley. And so just at the end of this year, Sohi puts up a, a video, a reel, and she's talking about how she's not on either side of the, the diet culture, anti-diet culture sort of thing. And it's like this nuanced middle ground. And she lists a very small cluster of coaches that she says their media does a really good job of walking that line. And she tagged Derek and I in that. And I probably gained about 400 followers off that post. And I'm like, wow, holy shit, that's really cool. 
I've had Sohi on my podcast a bunch of times, but I've never tried to leverage Sohi's massive following for any of my gain. And I know mm-hmm. that when she did that, that was completely authentic, right? Yeah. And I think that's what matters, right? To your point, uh, what I also want coaches to know too, is the end game should not be having the largest social media following if you need to, right? There's a very big difference between personal success and perceived success. Are you happy with the career that you have, right? Like, because to the world, this is what I always say. I'd rather have the world hate me and the ones close to me love me than the world love me and the ones close to me hate me because I'm not the person that the world seems, seems to look at, right? So to that point, like there's difference between personal success and perceived success. You know, I'd be happy if I had, 2000 social media followers or 50,000. I'm, I'm generally not going to operate any differently when it comes to that. So I think that's an important thing to, to notch in for what you're looking to do long-term. Like, who are you as a coach? What are you doing? How are you developing? Are you impacting people? Are you helping others in that way? Which I think is super important. And to your point, that's great. Like that's an authentic uh, reach out because, you know, so he found very credible information and relatable information in what you provide. And they want other people to see that. So I think that's, that's the goal in, in my mind is, is we want to see more of that. And for people that want to get into big media followings or, you know, how do I get in men's health? The hard reality is the, the shine of seeing your name in a magazine that wears off quick. If you written an article and you see it, you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. And then you write the second one. You're like, oh, that's awesome. And the third one, you're like, okay, that's just like what I do now right? You reset yourself to expectations of what happens. So if you think it's going to revolutionize the way you look at things, like that's, that's not the end goal, which is why you'll be sadly upset when you write a bunch of times and you're like, Hey, it doesn't feel the way it did the first time. So just keep that in mind as well. Ooh, cool. A couple, a couple of good things in there because there's some truth in that. Um, if anybody's read, I don't know if David, if you've read the gap in the game, it's a really mm-hmm. good book that I love and you kind of highlighted an aspect of it. And a lot of people live in this, the authors uh, go over this concept where you have where you currently are, everything that you've accomplished, and then everything that you still have yet to accomplish and want to and desire. And think of that, that moving horizon is the analogy they use. And so that moving horizon is the gap, the gap between what, where you are and what you want. And the gain is what you've gained across your career. And a lot of people get stuck living in and just focused on the gap and what they haven't done yet. And then they're never satisfied. And it's, it's kind of a negative place to be sure. It's great to look to things you want to accomplish in your career, like be hungry, have ambition. Awesome. But don't live in there and forget about and celebrate all of the milestones along the way and be very grateful for the journey. So anyone who hasn't read the book, very civil concept. Awesome. Do the physical book, the audio. Uh, <laughs> Dan Sullivan, the the older of the two, is intolerable to listen to. He's a stuttering mess, bumbling mess, and this guy is like the idea man. But it's the, there's a <laughs> an interview, sort of Q and A podcast style thing at the end of each chapter. Completely intolerable. I better just skip through what he says because it's bad. Um, I got lost on that train of thought. Social media. Here's something I'm really big on, and especially for anybody listening who hasn't yet built up much of a social media following, do not, and I use very strong language here, do not get caught up in negativity, complaining, or frustration about what is going on with people who are, even the charlatans, even the people who are sharing bad information out there. 
I am on a mission to grow a larger following with credible information, uh, leveraging the career accomplishments that I have to reach more people. I do not spend my energy worried about what other people are doing in that space. I am trying to share information to a broader array of people so the way I'm competing through the noise and I mean, I'll never have the Kardashian social media following, but I'm not worried about it. Like, I'll make a little bit of fun occasionally, but I don't complain about what they're doing because we're never going to reach everyone. But I find a lot of coaches get mired in this negative attitude. And it's nothing but complaining about what other people are doing. There's nothing constructive about that. It's negative energy. It's envy. And it's rooted in envy. It's jealousy of something that they want. And then they play it off like, oh, all these people are bad. Here's a little hint. In our corner of the community of people who have a ton of career accomplishment, they've got some decent followings. A guy like Luca Hosfer is somewhere north of, I think, 60,000 followers. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Gentlecore is somewhere close to 50,000. Right? Yep. Um, and yet we've got people who there's not anything notable about them who have 90, 100, 200,000 followers. Let me give you a little hint here. A lot of these people have fake followings. They have bought their followings. And it is it'll totally destroy someone's engagement. That person is not a concern. Now it's not everyone. And it's also not, Hey, I don't like that person's information. Uh, it must be fake following. No, no, no. Some of them have found ways to leverage it and attract attention, but do not worry about what they're doing because in a lot of cases they are buying followers. If you see someone, you know, and I've seen this, someone who is not sharing anything that gets shares to get attention to gain following, but all of a sudden one day to the next, they're up 10, 20,000 followers. That doesn't happen. That's the, those are bot followers. So if you know that someone's doing that, okay, cool. Just dismiss them. Move on because that person is not having any sort of negative impact that you're worried about. And please, for the love of God, do not fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I'm going to buy a bunch of followers. It'll look like I'm credible. And then that way more people will want to follow me because I got the big following. No, it'll completely nuke your engagement on the algorithm. It'll, your stuff will get shared out to a bunch of dead followers. They won't respond to it. Algorithm, uh, the Instagram algorithm will kill your post. You will gain no traction. And I know a bunch of people quietly who fell in this trap and they're restarting their accounts because they bought followers or their accounts are ruined. And now they have to start over fresh. Yeah. It's, so it's not helpful. Them. No, it's not helpful. And I think to that point, it's like, what, what I immediately thought of too, when you brought it up was, you know, staying away from the negativity. Right. And I think that's a great, great way to put it. Right. I think I, I I've learned that a lot from, from John, uh, you know, John doesn't crap on people. He does his own thing and he stays head to the grindstone and just moves forward. Right. And that, it's like, you can say something negative online. And the is, is for that instance in time, you will get a, quick boost in your likes. People will think it's funny or they'll go, Hey, that's hilarious. And that's the one-time thing after the second, third, fourth, fifth time, you're just the complaining person. And no one wants to follow the complaining person. They want optimism when they go to look for something. They don't want to listen to someone just complain the entire time. So you, the problem is you may see that quick blip of more likes, more comments, whatever. And then if you keep at that, people are gonna be like, well, I don't want to hear this all the time. I thought that was funny, but like, I don't need this person complaining on my feed every single day. But to that point, it's like, like you said, like the buying followers, I can't be concerned with what other coaches are doing. I have to be concerned with what I do, right? Because what other coaches do doesn't affect my family. That doesn't affect my income. doesn't affect the type of food I could put on my, my family's plate. 
I have to work for what I do. So I, I can't worry about the noise of what everyone else is doing. Oh my God, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. They have 200,000 followers. Who cares? That affects me 0%. All I can do is it gives me more credibility in what I say. Yeah, we have to fight against the tides of you know wrong information or maybe discredited thoughts or whatever it is, right? But that's not anything new. We've always had to do that. So if you just focus on your lane, it's very easy to get in a car accident when you're focused on everyone else's lane. Who's in your lane? Are you driving the right way? Like pay attention to that first and foremost, and you won't pay attention to the noise, right? I think bringing up Luca is, is a perfect example, right? Because Luca has so much stuff going on. He doesn't have time to pay attention to anybody else's stuff. That guy is working nonstop. He's got C4 threading through his veins at all hours of the day. Like it's, and he's still like, that guy is not short on words, but he's wisdom in every word that he says. Right. But that's, he's a perfect example, right? My buddy, Andy McCloy down in Alabama at BCI. Andy's a perfect example of someone who is working so hard. They don't have time for the BS, right? So just focus on what you're doing. If you want to build something, there's a couple lines to that. One, do you know what you want to build? What's the format that you're looking to do? Two, what's your game plan? What's the timeline? How long is it going to take for you to do that? And then three, execute. Once you've figured out what you want to do and how long it's going to take, execute ruthlessly at what you want to do in order to build that. And trust the process. Trust that what you did was right. It's what you want to do. It's, it's the right direction for what you want to do. And believe in yourself to that matter. And if you do that, it'll be super helpful. When I wanted to get into writing, I had a five-year plan for me to get into writing. At the fifth year, I ended up getting into writing and I got into presenting. And then it was a snowball effect from there of all these other opportunities that were thrown at me that I didn't think would be opportunities. But because I had done all of the nuanced work ahead of time, it worked out in the right way. And just on a side note of that exact example, the amount of coaches that have asked me about how they can write for certain things, like I had coaches specifically in New York City that were training and saying, hey, I want to write for these different subsets, whatever. And I go, okay, well, you know, how much time are you dedicating to that? And they're like, well, not anything right now. They go, how do you get involved? And I go, well, I, I was commuting to the city at 4.45 in the morning on those days. And it was an hour commute and an hour commute home. I'd get home probably like 7 p.m. or so. So I was writing on the train in and on the train out because I had two hours of time. And I go, I'm working during the day and I'm writing during these hours and I'm essentially working from 4.30 in the morning until 7 p.m. at night. Is that something you're willing to do? And they're like, well, I have all these other things I'm doing and stuff like that. And I go, well, then you're, you're not going to do what I'm doing because I'm willing to work for this and you're not. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that you have to want to give that time. But in order to get to this level, you have to put this effort in of time and time and time until it eventually pays off, knowing that if you do the right things, it'll pay off. So in that moment, it's like for a lot of people, if you want to write, great. If you want to present, great. Commit to it. You don't have to do it all. You can do it all, but you have to know that there's time and effort and everything getting involved to it, right? To your point of this podcast, like you mentioned, 150 episodes prior to you going on to this iteration of it. That's 150 hours worth of work, not, not considering the graphics that you have to make, editing down certain things, putting it up there, supporting it. That's 150 hours worth of time, right? Minimum. Are you willing to give that time and consistency to put in this type of product? If you're not, that's okay, but also don't expect the results from that because you were willing to do something someone else wasn't. And 
the fact that you're on here is sort of a testament to some of the stuff you're talking about. Um, you know, I, every once in a while, I get someone who kind of messages me, hey, can I come on your podcast? I'm like, uh, first of all, like, I think there've been like three times or someone has asked, I've said, yeah, sure. Um, one of them was, well, I was angling for John Berardi. And once I created that relationship, he turned around and he said he was good for it. So Jonathan Goodman early in our process. And so I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, you're on here because you have a track record of speaking, presenting, educating, writing. So I've never publicly revealed this before, but one of the major criteria for me bringing someone on the podcast is a established reputation as an educator, as a speaker, as a significant and recognized long, uh, long form content creator. Occasionally I'll grab someone on here like Logan Dubay. So anyone listening, you wanna go back to a couple of great episodes, go and listen to Luca's most recent one, go listen to Logan's most recent one. And if you, especially if you're someone who's just finding it through David's media, right? I've had John Rustin on here too. He's fucking super. And I'm going to get Clifton mm -hmm. Harsky on again soon because I love Clifton. But everybody there is someone who's so like, using Logan's example. Sorry. Uh, Logan is a, a speaker educator, right? And has credibility in that space. Even if Logan doesn't have a big social media following. You get a little choppy there. So let's get you back. It's okay. All right, I got you good. Uh, funny, you mentioned Andy McCloy. So I met Andy in 2017. So Andy's a buddy. And I was hanging out with him at Lucas events uh, just this past September. And so I've got to circle back to Andy because I've been talking about doing a collaboration with him, get him ready for T Nation. So because I like Andy and Andy's got a very serious history of uh, business experience. He runs a, a business mentorship. He's a really mm -hmm. cool guy. So I think everybody should go and plug into what Andy's doing too. He doesn't have a big, big social media presence but he's too busy just working in a, and on a very successful business. All right. Still got you. Cool. Uh, David's image is reasonable. Yep. Okay. What's the big picture for you? Like all the stuff we talked about, where do you want to take all this? Me? I, I don't, there's no clear direction of what I want to take all this. I th think that, uh, what I'm trying to do is find the next iteration of how, uh, you know, how I'm going to be able to impact even more people, right? I think I'm going to continue writing. I want to continue writing. Writing a book was never something that I thought would happen in the cards, but it, I was given the opportunity and it happened, right? Um, presenting, I think, is is one of the most important things to do. And my mission in, in everything that I do right now is very clear and cut and how it's shifted. My goal is to keep trainers training. It's as simple as that. Because the turnover within our industry is so astronomically high that I can't believe we see the amount of turnover that we do, right? Like the amount of trainers that I've met that, or amount of people that I've met that have been like, oh, I used to be a trainer. And my mindset is like, well, then what happened, right? What, what was that? Did you not see it as a viable uh, career choice? Did you not make enough money in that? Did you not understand the business implications of that? Uh, were the expectations offset of what you thought it was going to be? Do you think it was a nine to five job? Did you think that you were going to just wear sweatpants and work out all day? Like, what was it? But what I want to do is better inform young coaches and put them in a position to be successful. Because in my time when I was at Equinox, which I was at Equinox for seven years, I probably managed about 400 trainers during that time, all going into different varying things, right? A lot of them have maintained being trainers. Some have become lawyers. Some have become physical therapists. Some have gone on to become doctors, et cetera, right? But the theme was authentic in the beginning, which was A, 
I treated every single person like a person. They weren't a number on staff. I wasn't their manager and they weren't my employee. We worked together, period, right? Like we collaborated. I treated them as a human because I wanted to make sure that they were able to get the time they wanted to for vacation and that they were paying attention to how to utilize their pay structure the right way and how to save up money as a coach. Because those are a lot of things that young coaches don't know how to do. They don't know how to take vacation time. They don't know how to save up for that. They get burnt out because they're overworking and urgency doesn't last on a continuum unless you're Luca, right? (laughs) So for a lot of these people, it's a matter of knowing what the expectation is in the beginning. So my goal in the long term, no matter what the outlet is, is to keep trainers training. I want to make sure that we can build the the industry, that we have people that find this as a legitimate career source because it is a legitimate career source. I get so happy when I work with new, new clients and they're like, hey, you treat this a lot differently than every other trainer I've had before. It's sad because then I'm like, well, they didn't get the experience they wanted to, but it's nice because then I'm like, okay, I'm doing, I'm putting the investment in to make sure that they know that this is something that I take very seriously with what I do. And I'm genuinely here to help them. So it, whatever my next iteration of stuff is, it's that I want to keep trainers training. I want this industry to build this credibility and what it does. And as I said before, as the water rises, all boats rise. So if one of us progresses, all of us progresses. And, and that's what I'm here for. Anyone who's been around long enough to know my philosophies can hear that David's aligned closely with mine. It's purely abundance mindset. The book. So what put you in a position to write it? And uh, what was the process like? And any advice for anyone who's like, hey, we're, we're talking about getting into writing and all the, the book is the big picture writing thing. What would you sure. say? So the book was uh, a pain in the butt, right? It's a lot of writing. <laughs> Let's be very clear about that. Um, so unless you're like dedicated to want to do that, it's going to be a tough task. I got fortunate enough that after writing enough times with men's health, they reached out to me and they said, hey, we're looking at putting out another book, which if you know Hearst Publishing, they don't put out a lot of books. They've maybe put out like six or so. I remember I still have the first book that my wife, who was in my girlfriend at the time, bought me, which was like the top exercises from men's health. And I looked at it, I'm like, oh, I would love to write something like this one day. <laughs> and there's people who are like the most tenured writers in the industry, like Lou Schuler, who have written for a men's health, written a book, and now with the PTC and all that kind of stuff, right? So there's the levels of what you see in that. I've been very fortunate that I have a lot of really awesome people who have been in my corner that have helped me shape shift into the type of writing I've done. So one thing I would say is find someone to help mentor you through this process of getting into there, right? Like get someone who can help give you some creative design ideas. I have to give immediate shout outs to Sean Perrine. Sean Perrine was the chief editor at Muscle and Fitness. He gave me my first shot at writing. He's the one that set up me working out with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which was the coolest moment I could think of within my fitness career. Sean is the reason I know Andrew Gutman today, who is with Barbend. Um, I have to thank Ebenezer Samuel at Men's Health. I have to thank Sean Heisen, who's now at Onnit. There's a list of people who are just very, very impactful, influential um, within writing that have helped me within my career to uh, better understand what it was and have the patience to work with me while I was able to do that because I'm not a writer by trade. I never thought I'd be a writer. If you would ask my high school English teacher that I'd be writing or I had a book right now, she would laugh in your face. But it was just something that I was passionate about in the right way. And I put my time in to do that. So if you want to get into writing, one, identify what I would say is three to five really strong writers 
that you think are very good at what they do and can clearly and concisely give their voice. I think that's the most important part about writing. Like when I read Lee Boyce's articles, I hear Lee talking to me. When I hear, when I read Tony's articles, I hear it in Tony's voice. That's a very, very important thing when you read. Can you hear that person saying that? Um, the, the second thing is once you've identified those people that you like listen, uh, reading and stuff is start looking at format and write it, write different things, write in small spurts. You could start with your social media, write quality things on the bottom and see how that connects with people. What thing draws up a lot of attention? What's the question that you bring up that a lot of people don't have an answer to. And then from there, just be persistent and reach out. What I would say is don't be afraid to ask, find out who some of the people are that are in these magazines. First, get yourself in as an expert reference. So identify who are some independent contractors that write in areas that you could identify and send them an email and say, Hey, here's my credentials. I would love to have the opportunity to be an expert reference for you. If you could give me the chance. I remember getting my first expert reference was in women's health magazine, and it was just on gym etiquette. And that was in 2014 ish, I think. And that was thanks to Jenna Tor, who was the fitness director at women's health during the time. Right. But those are all relationships. I still have to this day. I have relationships within every main publisher in New York City, whether it's Weight Watchers or whether it's, you know, teenage muscle and fitness from gen pop to hardcore. So what I would say is take the time, meet the people, put yourself out there in many different disciplines, but ultimately find people who will help lift you up through that process because I would not be in my position today if it wasn't for the other people helping me out. And any person that says they are self-made, that they did it on their own, they built themselves up from their bootstraps, they are lying to you and they are lying to themselves. We all need support to get to where we are. And I think it's important to acknowledge those that have helped you build up and be able to see the horizon from your perspective where you are. There we go. Mic drop. You mentioned a few names in there. I'm just laughing. Like Lou Schuler. Lou, I met Lou in 2017. Like this event, this Kansas City Fitness Summit is the insider thing. It's too bad it's no longer a thing. But Lou's a big heavyweight in the in the traditional uh, writing space in fitness. And yeah, Lou is one of the earlier people to plug into my stuff. But I just met him because he was the MC of the event. Love Lou to death. And of course, you mentioned earlier about how Andrew Gutman's my editor at Barbent. Andrew reached out to me a couple of years ago when he was with Muscle Fitness and he was starting to kick tires about having me write for those guys. Now he moved on and eventually wound up at Barbend and then uh, someone created a, uh, a link back to Barbend. Oh God, it was uh, Austin Current who was on my podcast. Austin's a really great guy. Another guy who's written a, an awesome book recently. And of course, Austin refers me to Andrew and Andrew's like, oh yeah, I know him. And we knew each other, so it reconnected. And it was my friend, Jeb Johnston, who's also written for Muscle Fitness, who created the initial connection and mentioned my name to Andrew Gutman. So I hope people, and again, it's not to like drop a lot of names, but it's to see a pattern. And virtually all of this stuff came from one single event that I traveled to. And I met a ton of people, added them all to Facebook, connected with them and kept traveling and worked on those relationships because I like these people. Not because I thought there was something to gain. It's because these are kindred spirits, people on the same path who... I didn't find a lot of the local fitness community. There's a few, like Dean Somerset's here, but there weren't a lot of people locally who were as passionate about the same direction that I was. A lot of the gym the trainers are on the floor gym trainers. That since changed. There's a growing network here. But initially, I had to go outside the city to find that, that community. And it was one of the best things I ever did. Where do people find you online so they can find your social media, dig into your writing? Sure. So 
uh, my IG is at David Ote Fit. My website is www.otefitness.com, O-T-E-Y. Um, I need to put my, so I have a mini blog of what I do on my, my site right now, but if you Google Ote and fitness, it'll come up on a whole multitude of publications. So I'm going to format all that. So it's on my website. So you can reference all the men's health stuff and T nation and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I think for a lot of people get, get the perspective that you can. I also acknowledge that I, I was in a unique scenario that, you know, I spent a lot of my time in New York city, which is the centralized hub for a lot of these different areas. So I was probably at an advantage to meet some of these people and create some of these relationships. Um, but no matter where you are, you can always still leave a good impression with somebody. So, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and do that kind of stuff. If you are curious to ask me of certain things, send me a message, uh, send me an email, um, you know, message me on the site, any of that kind of stuff. I'm happy to give as much perspective as I can. And if, if I think you're asking too much, I'll tell you at the same time. Um, but, but it's important because I think I want people to understand, you know, what's, what's involved with what you could do as a coach. And I like people identifying what are the ultimate possibilities of what you can do, right? Like, what can you do as a personal trainer? I, there are plenty of experiences literally behind me of me with Arnold Schwarzenegger, me holding the Heisman Trophy at Wisconsin, like a lot of cool opportunities that I've been able to do because of personal training. So don't think that you're within a box within what you do. You create your own lifestyle. You create your own perspective. You can create your own career path within this area, but you have to know what you want to do and you have to be willing to put in the work for it. David, you've been an amazing guest. I really do encourage everyone to go and follow more of your stuff, seriously, especially if you have the kind of ambition to do some of the things that you and I are displaying on our media that we've been able to do. You know, you're very much on the same path I've been, and it's one of the reasons why you and I have been connected and interactive, and it's been a real pleasure to have you on here. For everybody else listening, if you are finding this episode through David's media, like I said, go check out the Logan Dubay episode, go check out the Luca episode, go check out the John Russell episode, and then look at the library. I've had the who's who of the fitness industry, ah, minus a few, but working on it. So there's a lot of really great people through the, the history of this podcast. And I would love to earn your continued listening. Uh, I'm going to work on more great guests coming up. If you're a longtime listener, I'm still going to look for those reviews. Uh, share with someone that you think this would help in their career, you know, an aspiring personal trainer who you believe this might help. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. And until next week.